In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the first Sunday of the month of Aviv, and this year we also celebrate the Feast of the Apostles tomorrow. So tomorrow there's a uh, liturgy at 7.30 a.m. to celebrate the Feast of the Apostles, so that ends our our fasting, the the Fast of the Apostles tomorrow. So it's appropriate that in today's reading we read about the sending out of the 70 apostles to preach the joyful news of the gospel. The Lord had previously sent out 12 disciples, as we know, but he also sent out these 70 apostles as well, of which, of course, we know that St. Mark the Apostle, the one who started our church, was one of these 70 apostles. So he sends them out to preach, and he gives them advice and guidance that could be very beneficial to us if we pay attention to him. So we'll talk about a few of them. He sends sends them out, and he tells them to... to understand the scale of the work that is at hand. It's a large scale that they have to accomplish and that they need to pray for the service. Those are the two things that we'll focus on today. He says, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of harvest harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He likens the souls of the world to like a harvest that's ripe and ready to be harvested. Um, and ready to be reaped. And here he shows himself as the Lord of harvest, the Lord of the, the farm, as you will. And he assembled the 70 in, in addition to the 12, and then he sends them out. But he gives them clear instruction to, the, to do these two things, to understand the scale of the work and to pray about it. First, to understand the scale of the work, that the scale is indeed very great. What makes it great? Is it the difficulty of the task itself? I don't think so personally. I think because the Lord himself provides us what we need, even if we get tired in the service and indeed the apostles we read about, like for example, the miracle before uh, before they, uh, uh, Christ did the miracle of the five loaves and two fish, that um, they were exhausted and the Lord told them to stand aside here and rest for a little while. No sooner that they began to rest, that the that all the multitudes came and they began to labor once again. So they, they labor. And in, in the prayer, and we mentioned this before, before the reading of the Acts of the Apostles, the priest prays that we may share, may have a share in the sweat that the apostles labor for, so that we can also labor and have that share in the labor that they work so hard for. So I don't think it's because of the, the labor itself, even though it is uh, very laborious. Uh, even if we get tired in the service, it's an enjoyable type of fatigue. It's kind of like when we play a sport, or if, uh, if, we, if we're too old to play sports, maybe our children play sports. You can see how much effort they put into it. They're sweating, they're working hard, and uh, they're very fatigued, barely able to stand up. But in the end, you always see smiles on their faces, especially when they win, right? And so it's kind of like that. Those who have played for these hours are fatigued physically, but internally they are rejoicing. And so that's how the surface is. So I don't believe it's the task that is too great since our Lord provides the means to fulfill the task. Even if there's obstacles or resources that aren't there, the Lord himself always provides and grants us what we need to fulfill the service. But since he brings salvation to others through the servants, salvation is often brought to this uh, to people through the service of other people. He could work directly, of course, but he chooses in an overwhelming number of cases, there are some exceptions, like in the case of, for example, St. Paul the Apostle who saw Christ as he was walking. But the vast majority of people who gain salvation, it's because of the Holy Spirit working through other believers. And so that's how usually it comes about. And 
it, and it and there's a, a shortage of those kind of Christians that the Holy Spirit desires to work through to reach, and that's why the task is great, and there are a great number of those who need to be reached. It seems that throughout church history, throughout all of church history, from the very beginning and probably to the end of times, as it is even now, there will be few laborers to accomplish the work that needs to be done. That's always the case throughout the church history. It's something that we're always praying about, that we always need servants, we always need laborers to go out into the field and to reap that which God himself has given the growth for. Service and ministry is not just the role of the priests or the deacons, it's the service of all Orthodox Christians. It is something that we're all commonly called for, to work on our own salvation, but also to have a mind and a heart for the salvation of those around us as well. The priest may lead the effort, but it's everyone's role to work together and to bring everyone into contact with God and to grow in a relationship with Him. So think about your sphere of life and who you influence in that sphere of life, whether it be your husband or your spouse, your children, the people you work with, the people you um, have entertainment with, that you always focus, of course, on the those around you. And it could be difficult, of course, right, especially in the workplace to talk about God. But like we were talking the other day to, with a few of us, that oftentimes it's not the words we say, but it's how we conduct ourselves at work. Everyone's cursing. Are we cursing? Everyone's maybe trying to rob from the company like some time coming in late or leaving early or just not being faithful in the work they do. But you're different. You're always faithful. You're always on time. You're always taking seriously the work at hand. Those things, of course, speak much louder than words. And the honesty you have in dealing with people, how you're never backstabbing anyone or not involved in any of the politics at work. Though you cannot speak at work, your conduct can speak much louder anyways. And then eventually somebody will come to you during lunch or after hours or something and ask you about what's happening. So it's everyone's role. And it's not something any of us should shy away from saying, I'm not a servant. You are a servant. If you're a Christian, then you are indeed a servant. For example, in the apostles, when they were working, and the apostles themselves, right, they were working in prayer and teaching, they were overwhelmed by the logistical challenges of the time with the feeding of the widows, with the orphans and things like that. They couldn't deal with all of that. So they appointed deacons to help them with these more administrative and logistical types of work that needed to be done. In, the, in this specific case, the deacons were seeking out the widows and those who were neglected. And after they said this, after the, the deacons began to work, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. It was when the service extended past just the priests or the bishops that the work began to be very effective, that the, the, the laymen and the, the congregants themselves are actively working, not only in the church, but in all of their aspects of their life. To be the eyes and the ears of the priests, to both see the needs of those around them and to help address those needs as well. So, and when you look at church history too, those are the vibrant churches, those are the churches that are effective, is when the congregants and the priests and the deacons all work together to the service of the salvation of all the souls. So the needs are many, as it says in today's gospel, the needs are many and those who need spiritual support are many. 
we need to put the gifts that God has given us to use. God gives us these gifts for the purpose of serving. They may help us at work, they may help us in the families, but there's no greater purpose or fulfillment of our gifts than to serve God, to put those gifts in, of course, the service for our Lord Jesus Christ. Service is the true home of our gifts. We may use them elsewhere, but the true home, the more fulfilling home for our gifts, whatever they are, is with God. Our gifts belong in the service more than anywhere else. We may use them to earn a living, but the greatest fulfillment, of course, is to put them in the ministry. As St. Paul says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, and for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, which is the church. In Ephesians chapter 4. Ministry is is the use of one's gift to build up the body of, the, of Christ, which is the church. That's, that's what ministry is. Ministry is action whenever there is need. Action whenever there is need. If you see a need, don't just bring it up and walk away from it, but actually work, maybe offer, and, and think about how I can help in that need. There are needs inside the church, and believe me, there are a lot of that, but also there's needs outside of the church too. When we serve outside the church, it isn't just for advertising our church, right? Which that comes naturally, but it's it's genuinely because we sincerely see the need of those outside the church and like the 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 need for not only worldly items like feeding the poor and things of that sort, but also the need that there are a lot of people who don't know Christ and that are missing out on that relationship we have with our Lord Jesus Christ, and they need that relationship and they're perishing on a daily basis, and that need should tickle us on the inside. It should push us to actually do something about it, or at least to pray about it. That's the least we can do. And believe me, prayer is not a small thing. It is a great thing. And, and we can see a lot of examples of how prayer has affected many people's lives. The service and the harvest is not only relating to serve just the believers then, but also non-believers as well. They too need to taste and see that the Lord is good, like we've all tasted to call them to believe in the gospel and to have a true and fulfilling life with our Lord Jesus Christ. After understanding the scale of the work, our Lord also uh, gives them the second point, which is that the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. After we've understand that scale of the ministry, the Lord gives us the second instruction, which is to pray. To have care and compassion for the people, to pray, for and to make supplications to God for the people is a thing that's common to all the apostles and a thing that's common really to all the saints. To consider the interests of others above just our own and above just our own families. Not just the saints, but Christ himself who died on the cross was considering everyone else in the world, even those whom, who crucified him. That's the, that's the care and that's the example that we have. So Christ teaches us to have that kind of apostolic care for the believers, believers and non-believers alike, and to pray for the laborers. Because the task is great and the laborers are few, it is a mission to the whole world. We need to pray for the servants and pray that God supports them and sends servants out into the harvest. It's also very interesting too that if you do that prayer, if you actually pray for a need and you recognize a need and you pray for that need, don't be surprised when the Lord himself sends you to fulfill that need and to solve that need. Um, you may find 
that you are the solution to that that God is looking for and that he's willing to work with you to solve that need. And so be willing in that case because we need to be willing to serve and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for the people to receive the word of God willingly, but we also need to pray for the laborers to accept the task of service willingly. In both the service of the word of God and receiving the word of God, a person must be willing to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. If we're not cooperating, then the Holy Spirit does not reach many people. And that kind of is kind of like a, a, a mark against us. You know, it's our responsibility to do so. Prayer precedes any kind of service. So whenever we begin any service, whether it's uh, you know the slightest uh, meeting that we're having or the liturgy that we begin, there's a prayer that we do before even the liturgy begins. Uh, any kind of service that we do or any kind of effort that we're beginning to work towards the salvation of other people, we pray beforehand. So please pray in your daily prayers for the service of this church and for all the servants. Then he says... Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves, which is the second, which is another instruction that he gives them. This sounds really dangerous, right? To send out the apostles as lambs among wolves. Uh, he's like a general sending out his soldiers out into the battle with a multitude of uh, adversaries without any weapons. And he's saying that the service is faced with persecutions and, and satanic attacks from all the people. And though we're called to understand these rules, we cannot play by those rules. As he says in Matthew chapter 10, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise, of serpent, be wise as serpents. So we're to understand the ways of those who are against us. But be harmless of doves. Though, though we understand their rules, we don't play by those same rules. But he tells them to go anyways and go out as lambs. He says go. And this word go is full of encouragement to face the persecutions, temptations, and challenges that we could face. But how can the lamb be victorious among a wolf? Have you ever seen a lamb? They're so cute and small. The kids go to petting zoos and they feed them, right? They're very gentle. How can a lamb, like have you ever seen a wolf? Maybe you haven't. Maybe in a zoo or something, right? How can a wolf... How can a lamb be victorious over a wolf? It seems kind of uh, contradictory, right? How can this gentle, peaceful, cute little lamb be victorious over a vicious and vigorous wolf, right? Where, where's the victory in that? It's found, of course, in the fact that the shepherd has something... Oh, I gave away. The sheep have something that the, the wolves do not have. The sheep have a shepherd. And of course, as long as the shepherd is with the sheep, the wolves cannot come near, right? Because that shepherd carries a big stick with him, and the, and the wolves know that. And through him, the sheep are protected. And if anything is taken away by the wolves, he goes and restores them. If one is taken away, or the shepherd goes and restores again and takes back what was taken from them. He helps the sheep and delivers them from the wolf um, and the evil of the wolf. Often he even tames the wolf themselves. When the wolves come to try to attack the, uh, the sheep, he tames the wolves. He grabs the wolf and he tames them and turns them into sheep. For example, uh, St. Paul himself, right? He was a wolf and, and he was about to go and attack all the sheep. And Christ, of course, appeared to him and turned him into a lamb. This unexpected change, of course, glorified God. And we see this in many other conversions in church history. And you might have also seen it in your own lives, people who repent from um, vigorous and, and vicious types of 
uh, wolfly, we'll call it sins and, and sinful life, but they change and become like a lamb. We see this, uh, for example, in St. Moses the Black, St. Augustine, St. Mary of Egypt, and many other amazing examples of wolves that became lambs. <clears throat> they practice all forms of fierce sinfulness, but when they encountered the shepherd, many turned and became like lambs. A sheep with a good shepherd is stronger than a fierce wolf with his arrogance. And we want to be like those sheep. We don't want to be like the wolves. We're made to be strong with our shepherd, not fierce and, and weak and, weak and uh, with our arrogance like the wolves of this world and of the spiritual world. And there's a lot of those, right? We face, as soon as we walk out into the church, we may face some of these wolves, either in the spiritual realm or in the, uh, even in the natural world, right? There's a lot of people out there that make themselves like servants of uh, satanic uh, visions, right? And so we fight against that and we recognize them. They are not our enemies. We, we know the truth of the matter. We see through the lies that no one is our enemy, but we do, of course, pray for them and we don't want to be like that. But to the servants of Christ, he tells them to go to the wolves, to labor and endure all sorts of persecutions and hardships like the apostles endured. But during these hardships, the shepherd is always present. He's always present. Like he says today, lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. I am your shepherd. I will be with you forever. So the servant should know that there will be hardships, but comfort and consolation will be there with the presence of the Holy Trinity in our life. And of course, there are rewards in the end for those who endure those challenges. And God will protect the true servants because he tells them elsewhere, he who hears you, hears me. And he who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. If God is for us, who can be against us? But they must rely on God. The sheep must rely on the shepherd because we can't do anything outside of, uh, of course, the power of Christ. Christ gives another instruction on top of that. Today's gospel is full of these amazing uh, beneficial topics. He says, carry neither money bag, as he sends out the 70 to, uh, to preach. He says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. What does that mean? He's basically emphasizing that we're not to depend on anything else except Christ, not on our own strength and not on worldly uh, security such as money or our friendships. No money or our possessions should not be our focus or our, our stability. Our focus only comes from Christ. If we, uh, For example, if we focus on money as the root of all evil, uh, it, it hinders us. It hinders our own progression in the spiritual life, but it also hinders the service towards others. This is the meaning with, with what he says today. When if somebody rejected any of the 70 apostles, he told them to go out into the street and yell and shake off the dust off of themselves and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Meaning the disciples didn't seek anything from them. They didn't preach so that they could receive anything back from them like money or prestige or anything like that, but that they only cared about their salvation. Um, so we're not to be distracted in our service because the focus is not worldly items, but spiritual items. But the love of worldly items such as money or the desire for recognition turns us from the effective service and turns us from our own uh, progression in our spiritual life. And to have no distractions once we've begun to travel on the road of service. Then when he sends them out, they... A time has passed, they go and they work miracles, they preach, and, and of course they glorify the name of Christ. And they come back joyous, 
They're able to do all sorts of wonders and miracles, and they come back to Christ full of joy, and uh, and they were very happy, and they come to Christ and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us, and they were very happy about that. One can see that Christ sent them out to preach, but was with them at the same time, right? Uh, the miracles were, of course, performed by Christ. So even though he sent them out to preach, he was still accompanying them, and he was the one performing those miracles. But here God gave them power to perform miracles to help them in their service and in the preaching of the gospel. But something happened along the way with the apostles. They actually rejoiced that the demons were subject to them and that they were able to work miracles. They, they lost their focus along the way. So Christ gives them a very gentle rebuke. Oftentimes, Christ rebuked not just the disciples, but the even the Pharisees very gently. He was very gentle in his rebuke. And he re- reminded them that, he, that, that they shouldn't be amazed at this. After all, Christ himself saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And to not rejoice too much in receiving such gifts, but that it is not because it's not the focus. These miracles and these power that, that God gave them are common. And they're not uh, the focus, right? It is only a tool to be used to bringing others closer to Christ. This is probably because it was starting to develop some sort of pride as if those working of those miracles were coming from themselves. God grants gifts, many gifts, to help in the service. Reading, singing, public speaking, networking. Some people have resources like money or people know technology really well, etc. Right? Many different gifts. There's also a lot of spiritual gifts that God gives as well, such as healing the sick, prophesying, casting out demons and visions and things of that sort. And those are very alive as well in the church. If we have these gifts, we can forget that these gifts have their source from God and that we attributed them to ourselves as if it's a measure of our own righteousness. So God tells them not to rejoice in this. We may even envy those who have such gifts. We say, oh man, that guy, he, he does miracles. I, I envy them. And, but these are just tools, and the gifts have their home in the ministry, not just to ourselves, and it's not just our goal, right? The goal is to lead ourselves and those who we serve to the gospel of Christ and to find faith and to find repentance. Such gifts are used for the ministry and are not what gets us into heaven. These gifts don't give it, get us into heaven. In fact, he says that many in the days of judgment will come and say, didn't we work signs and miracles? And they were rejected by Christ because they themselves did not repent. So the miracles themselves don't give us a ticket into heaven. So that when we say the kingdom of God is at hand and it has come near you, as we read in today's gospel, the miracles may help them listen and help them understand the weight of those words, that the kingdom of God is at hand and it has come near you. And to believe the words that are spoken that they are not of this world, and the miracles point that these words are not of this world. Because it is not by words only, like we talked about, by the, but these words brings heaven with them, and echo from heaven itself. As St. Paul says after this preaching, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words and with human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, that we know our faith is not firm on the wisdom or preaching of other people, of human beings, but it is founded on Christ himself, and that is a firm foundation to have, and we're blessed to have that foundation. Of course, the greatest demonstration of the Holy Spirit, among others, is not miracles uh, of raising the uh, dead or healing the sick or even 
raising mountains, like in our church history, that's happened, right? All of these things have happened. But I'll tell you even a greater miracle that the, that the world is really desiring and really thirsty for. And it's the miracle of having a loving spirit. That is a true miracle that we need in today's time. Love in today's times, of course, is the greatest of miracles, and that helps us spread the gospel more than any kind of miracle or any kind of moving of the mountains or casting out demons. Imagine it, though, if we showed hate, if we showed divisions and backstabbings and cruelty, and we turn the other, um, the other face when, we're, when somebody's asking for help. And then yet we go and we work miracles, even moving of mountains. Do you think that would help bring anyone closer to God? It's love that brings people close to Christ, more than anything. The focus and reason of our joy is the hope that is prepared for us, our salvation, that our names are written in heaven, and that the, we are with the company of all the saints, and we experience that even in this world. So let's therefore consider the ministry in the church. Let's consider how we can serve our Lord Jesus Christ in accomplishing uh, His mission to save all those around us. Um, with our gifts and thank God who's written our names in the, in the book of life in heaven and we thank God for that and has made us part of the heavenly family with all the saints, angels, martyrs and prophets to whom be glory forever. Amen.